So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome into another episode of So Rare in the State Soccer. My name is Chris, the MLS Card Guy. We are joined, as always, by my co-host, Nashi. How are you today, buddy? Excited, yeah. We just watched a, uh, a decent big Premier League game. It wasn't quite a fairy tale we were hoping for with our guest today, but uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes, see if we can keep the spirits up. Yeah, so for everyone, we are recording very early. We're on Monday today, um, so this is almost like six days ago now. Uh, so we just watched Man United against Liverpool, and we have our resident Liverpool fan, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Tom Bogart, Tommy Scoops. How are you today, Tom? What's going on, guys? I don't know if this was just like good timing that as Nashi was going there about alluding to there being a game, that was actually my Wi-Fi started jumping out. And normally I get really quickly angry at like techno- technological things. It's one of my poorer traits. But now in that one instance, rather than me going, oh, what the hell is going on? I was like, great. I, I, I didn't need to hear the rest of that about the Liverpool United <laughs> game. So a little serendipitous for, for my, my Wi-Fi being weird. Hopefully that's the only time it'll happen today. But we'll see. We'll see if you bring up United again. Hopefully the technology can, can keep up with us today. So <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll try to keep things rolling. Um, but yeah, so I, I wanted to just start with the, with the introduction here. Congrats on the top 10 underrated football reports. <laughs> I thought that was really, really cool. Am I the only one that thinks that's awesome? Yeah, I, I'm taking it as a 100% scientifically correct list because I'm on it. That's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the process was. I think it was just they put out one the other day where it was like just top 10 reporters and like I got tagged in it a few times. Like, where's that Tom Bogart? So even if that's there, that's how they picked me for the other 10. That count, As long as I'm on it, I, I'm counting it as scientific. And if I wasn't on it, I just ignore it and say that it, it doesn't count. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, just after you were last on, you uh, got the Gareth Bale scoop and that was almost worldwide yeah. recognition for that. How did that kind of, did that kind of feel like a groundbreaking moment for you personally? Because I was literally just after we spoke to you last time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I saw Fabrizio Romano, who's now actually partnered with Sora. I don't know if you saw that, but yeah, no. he, he mentioned you out there and uh, that was a pretty cool moment for you. Huh? Yeah, uh, that was definitely the biggest piece of news I've broken. And like, I think I could tell, like, I mean, obviously you can just look at like social media impressions and, and like tweets, retweets, all that, like, so like I knew that it was bigger, but like I really knew that it like transcended things. And like I got like ten or fifteen texts from people in my life that aren't football fans, and was like, "Holy shit, that was you!" Like I know Gareth Bale. It's like <laughs> he's somebody who like transcends. You don't just have to be a football fan to know who Gareth Bale is because of like that's the level of his superstar. And I I even like wasn't really prepared for that, and so like I thought that was pretty cool. So like again, that was a bit of a whirlwind. That was on like a, a Saturday morning my time. Um, so it, it was kind of difficult with timing of I technically supposed to be off. I'm like going to the beach with my girlfriend and I'm like, Oh my God, like I didn't have any idea this was happening. Like, you know, you get one source on it and then you're like trying to track it down. It's a Saturday morning. Thank God she's an angel. She's understanding that sometimes these things happen and like, I might have to be glued to my phone for a little bit. So it was, it was a, it was definitely a whirlwind morning at the beach there. So yeah, how does, would've... how does that kind of work when you get like a new like tip or scoop or anything? Do you just kind of immediately follow up with a, with a bunch of different sources and just kind of try and confirm it as fast as possible and get it out there? Or are you, you know, yeah. going through and, and digging and calling everybody and, and 
making sure everything's like really, really nailed on. Like how, how, yeah. how do you balance like the speed versus the accuracy? Uh, that one was tough, particularly because I like, you know, it's, it's a Saturday morning. So I forget if LAFC, LAFC were playing on a Sunday and like, I try to be respectful of the people I talk to with time zones and everything. So like, I'm like, Oh my God, like I need to make more calls, but it's like, you know, 7am in LA. I, I can't really do that right now. <laughs> like, so it's, it was very anxious. And like, it was something that big, like you knew that other people might be on it. So it's, it's, it's concerning, but like, yeah, you just try to talk to as many people as you can be first and foremost. Like I have like really bad anxiety about getting anything wrong. So like, I'm never going to, really kind of put something out there too soon or, or without being like certain. So, and like in that one, it was like, as I was hearing about it, it was like, this isn't just like a possibility to watch. It was like, I think this is done. Like, so it, the whole thing was like, Oh my God, like I got to do it right now. Yeah. And I can imagine that there's that moment as you fired a tweet out though, like what percentage of certainty are you at? Yeah. And that's and like, there's other, like, I'm always 100% certain in the info that I'm getting or if I'm tweeting about it. But there will be times that, like, it's, like, I, I try to be over-explain over and, like, finalizing, hey, it's not totally done yet or, hey, like, you know, 99%. Like, I try to make sure that, like, things at least don't get taken out of context or, like, I'm trying to be as cautious and as correct, literal, down to, like, whatever I'm hearing rather than, like, overblowing it. And, again, like, it's... I've been really, really anxious about getting something wrong and feeling like, all right, everything's your credibility is going to be gone, even though, you know, we could get in a larger argument that it seems like people get things wrong and people just forget until the next tweet. So maybe I'm being overly, overly worried, but um, that, that's been a good barometer for for me and my career up to now. So yeah. I'm not going to change that. It, it was absurd. That, I don't know if you followed it with uh, Fabrizio Romano with the Mark Cucurella, um from Brighton to Chelsea, where you yep. put it out there and then there was some, that it was literally like a week of space where there was some uncertainty. And Brighton put out like a statement like regarding his tweet. I was like, that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine being in his shoes. And like, I mean, he stuck by his word. And in the end, he was fundamentally right, which yep. almost is even better. But yep. yeah, it must be pretty stressful when you guys position there to, uh, especially in that like, little moment in between, you're just praying nothing goes wrong. Yeah, exactly. Like, like somebody like sent me that and was like, is this anything like this ever happened to you? It was like, oh my God, I'd like... I'd be terrified. And like, again, true, good, good for him. Like he was, and he's, he's a genuinely a really nice guy. And like, we've interacted kind of numerous times. He's super kind. And like the, like New Jersey and me that like, I'm a little bit more direct about things. I would, I would be like, if I'm a hundred percent certain this is correct, I'd probably be angry. And I'm sure he was getting a lot of tweets back from, Oh my God, you're a fraud. All this other nonsense. I probably would have responded a little bit angrier or like, 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 no, like I'm like, he responds with like, like a smiley face and was like uh, something about like, I'm confident in my reporting, like good luck. Some, something like that, which was just super kind and mature and like a lot better than I probably would have handled it. If I could be like, no, I know I'm right. Like you, whoever you were to call me an idiot, I'm going to track down every tweet and like remind you that I was right. So again, it's good that, that he's, you know, a bit, bit more mature maybe. Than I am. So okay. yeah, I think it was better that he was in that situation, not me. Yeah, I'd be doing the playground thing where you and I'll bet you any amount of money. You want to put any money on it? <laughs> no, it's going to happen. The bravado would have to be there for me too. Yeah. yeah so let's, been, let's talk fun. about one that's kind of ongoing now that I think you just broke in here today maybe. Uh, Christian Tello to LAFC. Kind of, You said it kind of hinges on Brian Rodriguez leaving as well. Mm. Um, where are we at with that and how's this? how's this kind of unfolded? Um, I think I saw a thing that said it was, it was almost done or, or pretty close to done. Um, so where, where does that, where, where does that leave us? I guess the rich kind of getting richer here. 
Yeah, so th- there have been some reports in Spain that says it's it's like completely done or whatever. And again, I'm not I'm not here to like parse words or mince words, but I from from what I'm hearing is that yeah, it, it's very close, and that could be alluding to like the people have put out like contract figures and and contract lengths. So like the way that I'm interpreting it is that either a deal's agreed or they know that a deal can be agreed, but it, it can't happen without Brian Rodriguez leaving. Or I mean, in more complicated scenarios, it it could hinge on other players. But again, just stylistically not even with the the salary cap stuff like brian it wouldn't make sense to sign him with without brian rodriguez leaving and again rodriguez wants to leave club america and lafc have gotten closer on a deal last week i reported that that's and that's still not done so tello is still not technically done um there's a little bit of moving parts with the ins and outs here but yeah so christian tello the former barcelona and real betis uh winger could be should be in mls soon as long as the brian rodriguez deal gets done um and just a quick point that you know somebody pointed out yeah like the transfer window closed three weeks ago how, how is this possible mls teams can still sign free agents until september 2nd so and he's a free agent the same way that that carlos heel's brother nacho heel is just signed with new england revolution so players who are free agents can still be signed now what does that mean for lafc going forward here because they've already obviously got one of the deepest teams we've ever seen they've got talent up and down the board for days what does that mean for them is that just kind of you know another chip another car that they can play um, is he going to be kind of a centerpiece? Like, what what do they what do they view his role as? I'm not sure. Like, Gareth Bale has been a borderline human victory cigar in his month and a half with the team. Like, <laughs> then you have like Brian Rodriguez. If everybody's here and fit, Brian Rodriguez wasn't a starter, and theoretically, Tello's coming in for him. Like, they're they Denny Buanga should be viewed as like I know he doesn't have the name of Christian Tello because he didn't play for Barcelona. He hasn't been around as long. But Denny's Buanga is is a huge talent. And like the way that he all like balances and complements Vela, Bale, and Chicho Arango, that guy is as if all goes well, as long as he's fit, whenever he's he should be getting here soon if he isn't already for his visa and stuff. That guy's a starter. So like the way I see it is Buanga, Arango, and Vela as starters. So that leaves Gareth Bale and Christian Tello as as air quote subs or rotation competition, whatever you want to call it. Like. That's a long-winded way of saying I have no goddamn clue because there's so many options for this team. It's like you said it really that like that's the deepest front line in MLS history. Like full stop. Easily by a long way too. Um, and I know they've been working on a, a Mamadou Fall here as well, yep. which didn't kind of that one kind of surprised me a little bit because you know they the whole reasoning behind Chiellini was well he's going to mentor <laughs> Mamadou Fall, and now off goes Mamadou Fall after one month of Chiellini. Uh, was the, I guess this was just something where uh, was it Villarreal or Barcelona, Valencia? Villarreal. Villarreal. They just kind of came in and said, "Hey, yeah, we he's trained with us before. We like him. He's going off. Like we just want him back." Is that kind of what happened there? Yeah, as far as my understanding, like there's been all year a ton of teams that have been interested in this player. He's he's you know I think he turned 19 during the season, I believe, but he's a 19 year old center back that was starting for the first half of the year. He was a starter for the best team in in, in a top flight domestic league. Like that, there's not that many of them. So like he's, and his physical profile and and his technical profile is like, it's every European club's dream. And you, these European clubs, they want to sign these players as soon and as early as possible to get them into the training and stuff. Like I've talked to a big English club. They have a scout here. And like they're, the point is that they want to sign guys from 16 to 19. They like don't even want a 20 year old. Like they want to get the player into their system as soon as possible. And again, like you said, he he trained with Villarreal as a teenager at multiple times before he signed with LAFC and MLS. Like, that's a player who, again, I, I don't think that this is related to anything 
And I, you know, and I thought at the time when they were going with the whole, yeah, who's a better mentor for somebody like Mamadou than, than Chiellini? I think that was just a good way to deflect questions not having to answer. Well, if there's interest, we'll see if a deal makes sense. The only thing that I'm surprised about is, is I'm not aware of any purchase option in this deal, which is odd to me because, you know, obviously Villarreal would do this because they want him for a long-term future. And maybe it's just something that they just didn't set a price between the two clubs and they'll continue talking about it. But again, the idea, I'm sure the idea here is for Villarreal to, to purchase him outright. Yeah, do you think it's a kind of like a, a little bit of a, they're getting to see him, it's a trial. It's got a trial filter. They'll see how he embeds over there because his potential and his ceiling is really high. But it's kind of funny when we see these really young players get these deals with these huge European teams and Gaga Sonina comes to mind. And we're kind of sat here wondering, it's kind of hard to see how clearly their role is and what the purpose is of the, these moves. Do you think Slanina is going to be in the Chelsea system or do you see him being loaned out like we've seen with a lot of their youth players being brought in in the future? Yeah, particularly, a, a, yes, particularly a goalkeeper, like because he's obviously not better than Eduard Mendy. He's, you know, even for all the stuff with Kepa and, and anything else, like, He's not ready there. Like right for since like June, he's been a below average MLS goalkeeper. And that's not to kind of unnecessarily be critical or take shots at the kid. He's an 18 year old starting goalkeeper in a top flight league. Like of like Chelsea didn't buy him thinking he's ready. Chicago don't even think that he's like the finished product. Like, but they've had the vision and the foresight to let him play through mistakes and stuff. So which which is great. But that's all like he's absolutely needs another loan. He could theoretically come back to Chicago. Um, I'm, I'm sure he's open to that possibility. I know the club are open to that possibility for obvious reasons. Um, but I'm assuming that he's going to stay on loan somewhere in Europe next year. But like when January comes, like maybe they'll let him play half a season with, you know, the U23s or something like that. But like, he's somebody who's going to need more playing time and like championship level rather than like a lower, uh, tier Premier League club. Like this is, this is a player who's not a Chelsea first team goalkeeper right now. And again, that's because he's 18 years old and, there's nothing wrong with that, but yeah, that that's absolutely going to be the point. It's going to be, I assume, multiple loans rather than just you know one year thing. Yeah, I mean Chelsea have that connection with I think it's Vitesse in the Eredivisie, <laughs> and they've utilised that in a long time. And we've got another player from the MLS, an American potential international, heading over there in Georgi Mihailovic. Um, how how do you sort of see that played out? Yeah, so that that deals to Izzy Alkmar. I, I probably pronounced it wrong. Really, only I haven't heard it. Um, kind of out loud since Josie Altador was there. So it's been a while. Um, yeah, I didn't think that they had $6 million to spend on a 23-year-old. So that was pleasantly surprising that they kind of realized his talent rather than just, hey, maybe we can scoop up a player for cheap or cheap within our budget. Like this is a legitimately huge transfer for them. I, I think somebody either looked into the history and said he's like one of their like top three most expensive of all time or whatever. I could be completely wrong, but I, I think that that fits. Um, so yeah, like Georgie is is somebody who, I'm surprised that Bologna didn't come in for him. They Montreal and Bologna have the same owner. He's been in Bologna to train, I believe, twice now. He was there in the winter. Um, I don't know. I just, and again, it's probably my own bias from from watching him week in, week out, and watching him grow to what he is. Like before he got hurt, he was an MVP candidate. So like, I don't. I'm not a big Bologna expert. I'm not a big Serie A expert. But like, I'm really surprised that there wasn't a role for him in in that team, and and that they didn't lean on their relationship with Montreal to say, hey, we'd, we'd love to sign him. So I think it's great that he's going to the Netherlands. I think that's a fit, a, a league that's going to fit him really well in, in which you, you'll play against some other, you know, big teams like Ajax and PSV are, are really, really good. Fire Nord are really, really good. But also you're, you're not, like you're also going to, with not, not too much disrespect for the lower part of that league, that's 
the, the worst teams in the Netherlands aren't like light years better than MLS teams. Like, like I, he's cleared clearly can play at that level when Luca Della Torre did, even though he was in one of those bottom teams and he went to Celta Vigo. Like, I think this is a really good jumping off point for Georgi Mihailovic in Europe. So what does that mean for his, I guess, World Cup bit, right? He had the injury. He was playing really, really well, had the injury. Now, you know, he gets to go over to the to Holland. Does this give him more of a platform or is this, is this, I mean, is it the same platform and he just has to go and integrate into a new team immediately and start to get into that, onto that World Cup plane or, or where does, what does this do for his chances at the U.S. team? Um, and, and I'm glad that you point that up real before getting to the World Cup and the U.S. stuff. I don't have it confirmed yet. There have been some reports. I know that Montreal want this deal to go through on January 1st. So, so Georgie says the last couple months of the season that hasn't been confirmed or announced by like there. I believe that Jeff Carlisle of ESPN might've put something out. And if, and if Carlisle says a loan back is happening, that, that means it is indeed happening. So I, I guess I can't say hundred percent, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that he's staying at Montreal for the rest of the season. And it's not technically a loan because the, uh, the, the MLS yeah. window is closed. So like, yeah, it's just the deals agreed for January 1st, if that's how it's structured, which, which I believe it is. So in that vein, I'm not sure injured, like the, the timing of his injury could not have been worse. And he really hasn't gotten back to that form. If he's not selected for this camp coming up in September, I don't see how there's any chance that you could bring a player in after you, you, he was only there like briefly in the winter, I believe not even for that long. Cause he was with Bologna too. So if he's not called into this camp, I, I can't really see a, a picture in which he's called to the world cup. But Hey, I mean, if he's playing out of his mind in, in September and October, like he, he, there's always a chance, but I don't know. For me, we'll know his chances by if he's getting called to this next squad. Let's talk, let's talk about another guy that might get called into this squad and probably will get called into the September squad. Just signed a huge contract extension with Cincinnati. And obviously, Brandon Vasquez has been completely absurd and out of his mind. First of all, is this the best front three in the league outside of LAFC that Cincinnati has? And secondly, where is Vasquez in his development? And how? what are the chances he makes the World Cup team? The, that's a great question with kind of the attacking trios in the front three. I think Cincinnati are in that elite group. I'd probably put Philly slightly ahead of them, but like, I don't know, man, like Lucho Costa leads the league in assists. Uh, Vasquez is like tied for second in goals and, and Brenner is only a $12 million player from former Brazil youth international. They've been horrific in, first half of the season too. He's been yeah, well, lights like, out her, the second half. Yeah. And again, like this is why they didn't sell him for 40 cents on the dollar when Brazilian clubs wanted to take him on a free loan because he was struggling and, and wanted to was open to leaving because of this. They they saw him as a t- this two striker system, this kind of front footed system that Pat Nunes playing that like these three together was the idea. And, and they've been every you know better than they could possibly imagine. Um, but yeah, with, with Brandon Vasquez, as I reported today. He signed a long-term contract extension. It's through 2025 with a club option for 2026. His original, his current deal was supposed to expire. They had a club option for next season, but that's it. So, like, that's a contract that that's a very difficult situation if if teams are coming calling and you can't really get full value if you're going to transfer him. Again, I'd be really, really surprised if he's not in this September camp with the national team. And same thing as I was saying with Mihalovic, but probably less so because it's a forward and forwards can just score goals and get in. But if he's not in the September camp, what else could he possibly have been showing that's going to make the over September and October that'll make the coaching staff go, oh yeah, like let's bring him in. Like right now he's playing incredibly. He's been one of the best players in the league. My colleague, Matt Doyle, called him the best center forward in MLS since Tati Cassianos has left, which is huge praise and, and goes to his form. Um, and there's a lot of like deeper 
reads about why he's so good that he's simultaneously really, really good at hold up play and one of the most dangerous, like off the back shoulder center back, like uh, vertical runners in, in the league in terms of movement and timing and everything. So if he's not on the September camp, like what else could you possibly need to see in September, October to, to give him a chance? Like right now he's gotta be, he's just gotta be like, if, if you were picking a, a squad, the world cup squad tomorrow, it's, it's him and Ferreira and then insert whatever third striker you want, whether it's P folk or Sargent or Haji Wright or whoever, like, I think that Vasquez like should have the inside track at this point. Yeah, and I think like with Brandon Vasquez, with his development and in his technical abilities, qualities, finishing, his movement this year, he just adds a complete different dimension to anyone else you've almost got to look at with the hold-up play. You've got brilliant talent behind him, brilliant players behind him, and maybe he doesn't need to be banging in the goals like he is at club level to be offer a different option and even more for this team. So I think if it's me, yeah, he's a no-brainer. He's on that plane. And I'm really happy for him because he's he seems like his head's in the right place. You know, he's a young kid. He's been doing really well. But he sort of doesn't feel like he's getting to him. He's, he's still got that work ethic and that fit between his teeth. So it's good to see. Good to see. And his career arc, like, we we spent a lot of time. Like, the narrative for Haji Wright was a really cool one. He was this huge prospect. Like, Dortmund came to watch him, and that's how they found Christian Pulisic because it was one of the youth national team games. Brandon Vasquez was on that team. Like Brandon Vasquez, like was every like maybe not quite as the prospect that that teams thought Haji Wright was, but he was this big time, big time talent coming out of the U.S. youth national teams. Mexico had him for a little bit. He's still eligible for both the United States and Mexico, but he told uh, Tio Dienes Michele Ginone that he hasn't spoken to anybody from the Mexican Federation, so that shouldn't be a worry. But like regardless, he was this really, really big talent. U17 World Cup, like coming through youth national teams, and then his career kind of stalled. He he left Club Tijuana because he's from San Diego, so that's right next to the border. For those who don't know the kind of geography of, of the West Coast, California to there, like, um, it's right just beneath San Diego, so it's, like, right on the border. So he's is an American kid that, that was going to Tijuana, and then he signed with Atlanta United to start his professional career. Atlanta didn't play him very much because they had Joseph Martinez, they had Miguel Marone, all these players. Tata Martino was head coach, who's pretty notoriously a big, you know, veteran player rather than, you know, giving a lot of youth a chance. Goes to Cincinnati. It's not great at first. He's still not getting a lot of chances. That team's a dumpster fire. And then at the end of last season, when the new GM, Chris Albrighton, took over and said, you know, I, I want to do this like Philly. We need to play a diamond. Get, just give this a chance. And Vasquez scores four goals and has three assists in like 800 minutes at the end of the season. And then he continues right on with that. Like, so, so this is all real. This isn't just a run of form. Like, this is who he is now. Yeah, I think he just fits the style that Cincinnati plays so well. The question mm-hmm. now does now is does he fit the style the U.S. national team wants to play, or does Jesus Ferreira fit that style? Which yeah. of those two guys kind of is more stylistically a fit with the other players around them for you going into the World Cup? I mean, you'd have to give it to Ferreira just because you've seen him what he's you know with during the World Cup, uh, the qualifying cycle, and he plays under the former U.S. national team assistant Nico Estevez in Dallas, like. They they play the the Berhalter system or something close enough to it because not to, not every coach is the same obviously, so you, you just kind of have to give that to Ferreira and like his fit as like air quote false nine or whatever you want to call it, like the the center forward in that system has to do so much and that's part of the reason why Jordan Pifolk got it took a little while for him to get a chance and then he got a chance didn't play well and hasn't really gotten one since is because he does not do anywhere near enough in the buildup in the prep like. He's there to score goals, which he's very, very good at. But like that system required a lot more than just that. So 
Ferreira has shown he's really good at all the other things. And this year has been his best goal scoring year. I think Brandon Vasquez can also do that. But again, like we've only seen Ferreira do it because Vasquez hasn't been with the national team yet. And Vasquez doesn't play in a system in which the former national team assistant is the coach. So again, like I'm not saying that he can't, and I quite think that, that he'll be very good at it. It's just, it'd be disingenuous to say that, you know, that he fits better than Ferreira without seeing it. And another team that you that will having a former assistant U.S. national team coach next year is San Jose. You've been all over this Luchi Gonzalez to San Jose kind of deal. Um, obviously, he's going to start after the World Cup, so he's going to continue with the U.S. national team through then. Uh, but what does this mean next year come for, you know, guys like Cade Cowell, guys like Benji Kakanovich, guys like Jeremy Abobasi? Does that, does that kind of give them that same Jesus Ferreira kind of natural link to the U.S. team? Um, and does that kind of help out their chances of maybe not in 22, but maybe even 26 and beyond? Yeah. And like, again, for somebody like a Bobacy, again, unlike the caveat of I'm, I'm not expecting him to get called in in September, regardless, like it just seems like Berhalter and the staff don't don't entirely rate him. But again, that that's for he should be in the first kind of camp post World Cup because of how well he's played this year. Uh, so, yeah, Lucci taking over. That helps a lot for somebody like him because it'll be more of a national team system. You know, Lucci and Greg Berhalter are obviously close because he's on the staff. But more for Kate Cowell, Lucci has, is regarded as one of the best in terms of development. He was the academy, before he was the Dallas head coach, he was the academy director. He, pet, like, he's integral to Ricardo Pepe, Brian Reynolds, Reggie Cannon, all these guys, like, from their days as kids in the academy before they were pros and you know first and foremost credit to the players themselves because i'm not trying to take anything away from them but like lucci was oversaw all of that so to get somebody that that is regarded in this renowned for, for development and again matias almeida one of the things he was really good at was giving young players chances and the mentality side of things and the like i know how to I let them play through mistakes i know when i need to take them out of the spotlight he was really good at that he also played like you know ar- archaic tactics how does that really help Cade Cowell outside of playing in transition? Like, in addition to having somebody who's really good at development, he'll play a real system. He'll play an adult system. He'll play a system that other teams in Europe that are already interested in him, they're going to let him, like, he's going to play more of just normal soccer instead of this, like, man-marking crap that they were doing. Like, it was a high school soccer game. And again, like, sorry to just take out Matias Almeida so many times, but it's just frustrating that, you know, if that was an American coach doing that, he would have been fired after 10 games. Like, it's just... <laughs> frustrating because he's he's had this this resume as a player and like again he did well at other stops but it was clearly like again it, it, it i don't think that that aids very well in young players maturing and, and learning intelligently how to play the game so i i'm kate Kyle is who i'm most excited for about about this news because like lucci is definitely evolved as a coach he understands and again it sounds silly to say this out loud but he understands that you know res- it's results or you're gonna get fired like he thought that things were going fine in Dallas. Results kind of took a step back. It doesn't matter that you helped produce Ricardo Pepe into a 20 million transfer. You're losing. This is first team football. This isn't the academy anymore. Like you need to do both. So I think that that's going to be really beneficial for KCAL. He also kind of came out and said, like, look, I've I've grown, you know, in my vision of everything. And I think he did yep. learn a lot under Berhalter. So I'm really excited to see how he kind of handles the San Jose job and kind of looking at some of the other guys, like even Jackson Yule. Um, different guys that were at one time in the U.S. picture and now are not really. Um, does he even maybe get another chance? He's not an old guy. I think he's 24 right. maybe. Um, I, so, I mean, there's, I think there's tons of other people in, in San Jose too. Not to, again, not to be mean to Jackson. You know, I just don't think he's athletic enough for the top level of international football. And, like, again, what you have Tyler Adams and, and Gianluca Busio, some of these other players that, like, you know, does not really need it. And, again, like, you, you can be a really good MLS player and have a great career. Like, there's just because that you're not, 
better than Tyler Adams doesn't, you know, mean anything negative, even though it sounds negative. But with, with Lucci, before he took the first team role at Dallas, he hadn't had a senior coaching position. He was the academy coach and, and he coached the U-17s. He did the academy. So, like, his year with Berhalter was so important for him to, like, learn from more experienced coaches around him, to learn without being kind of in the big seat and having to do all that stuff. And, like, he said he, he's grown in terms of just, like, culture, locker room, and tactically as well. So I think that he'll be a little bit less naive. I think the final third patterns that kind of eluded him quite a bit in Dallas that they never quite got a hold of, and that's why the the results are – and, like, again, Dallas has spent a lot more money since he left, so if I was him, I'd, I'd be a little upset. But I think that those patterns and everything are going to be – so crucial that he's still going to have his own principles that he had and he's still going to have a lot of things but he's definitely evolved and and again from what i've heard from talking to people around lucci around the national team that like this year has been really really important for his for his own development we've been talking about teams potentially that we think are going to make a breakthrough next season already looking ahead and it sounds like san jose is on your list there for them reasons new coach is there anyone else how much money they spend Huh? We'll see how is much money else? they spend. Right, right. Do you think is there anyone else on your list there that you're looking at and think they could add a couple pieces here and there? Maybe a new coach change, system change. Um, you think that looking towards next season are going to sort of step it up and make a market performance uh, improvement? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm. I don't think that Toronto are going to make the playoffs. I could have very easily be wrong. It's not like that they're far away. So in my mind, Toronto counts in this question. So that's, you know, it's, again, it's a pretty easy one given the talent that they've added this summer, but there's still such a thin team. You could really see it when they just played their third game in, in seven or eight days. And Insigne and Bernadeschi and, and uh, Crescito, again, they're coming. They, they've been here for a month or month and a half, whatever it is. Like they, they're clearly wearing down because they have to carry so much of a burden and they don't have the luxury to rest these guys because they were in such a hole. So if, if it continues like that and they don't make the playoffs, they're the obvious answer that they're going to be looked at as one of the favorites in the East and another off season where they'll have another window to, to continue to move on from bad decisions of previous regimes and get build out some depth. Like this starting 11 is pretty much there. They, I think that they need an, a new goalkeeper and at least one new defender and, you know, two if Richie Larea doesn't, isn't able to stay around. So but they were close. They're like the 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 top end talent that they were able to kind of change on the fly this summer was nothing short of incredibly impressive and ambitious from ownership that were just content to like take losses on um, Teldo and then Salcedo and then Pozuelo and all these things to make this change. So they're ahead of schedule in my own mind. So they're the obvious answer next year. But if you're somebody who, who believes that they're going to make the playoffs, like it, then it'd be you know San Jose or Kansas City. Um, I I'm optimistic about what San Jose would do. And Luchi Gonzalez has been saying in every interview that ownership has told him that they're going to spend more. I'll believe that when I see it, but there's, I, I guess if they're telling him this and he's going public with it, they kind of have to. So as long as they add a, a couple of pieces and, and show some ambition, then like I'm, I definitely am looking forward to them. What about a team like Atlanta? Because they, you talked about the on-talent paper or on, on paper talent. Uh, they obviously have a ton of it. They have, uh, you know, players mm -hmm. to spare from all over Europe and all over South America. And it just has not clicked at all. It, it, they just, they aren't playing together. Is it, you know, something where, you know, the coach needs to be changed and the tactics needs to be changed Has he lost the dressing room with the whole Joseph Martinez situation. Um, because I mean, this should be one of the better teams in the Eastern conference and they're one spot above DC in the standings right now. Yeah. Um, but again, like if you wanted to like look at it, glass half full, it's five points below the line. Like I know that time's running out and it looks extremely unlikely that they're going to make the playoffs because they have to jump six or six teams or whatever it is. 
But like again, in their defense, Miles Robinson getting Miles Robinson is one of the most irreplaceable players in the league because of what he kind of held together for this team and the way that he could put out fires and kind of defend scrambling in defending. Like rather than it being a system, he's a one man guy who is who put out a lot of fires for this team. And then there's Brad Guzan, who's a starting goalkeeper. And then Gutman missed three months. Brooks Lennon missed however long. Ozzy Alonso, who was probably going to start 20 to 22 games, he got hurt at the beginning of the season. Like, so I'm sympathetic in that regard to this team. But again, as you pointed out, like you look at this attacking talent, it's like 45 million worth of transfer fees. Like this is one of the most expensive and opulent teams. And the idea of spending so much on your three DPs is that you're supposed to have more room for error and you're supposed to be able to withstand some of these injuries. Again, like I, I, the Miles Robinson one is, is, is really irreplaceable, but like, you know, you also spent $16 million on Chago Almada. Like, so he's supposed to be more than sometimes getting benched because he's not like totally bought in. I don't think that Gonzalo Pineda is like air quote lost the dressing room or whatever. The team seems to react well, even if Joseph isn't starting because Cisneros is actually running and, and Joseph isn't. And so that kind of, helps the team flow a little bit more, even though it's really sad to see this state of Joseph after, you know, the highs and everything that he's brought over the first three or four years, whatever it was before he got hurt of his MLS career. So I'm still holding out hope that next season maybe looks better, um, but we'll see. I think that Pineda should be safe throughout the off season, but if kind of they finish around where they are right now, as, as you kind of imagine, give or take a couple places, but, you know, comfortably below the playoff line. I still think Pineda is going to be safe, but he would be at the top of the list of like, all right, if they if they go eight or ten games to start next season slow, then like he's gone. So what does what does this mean for them next season? Do you think that you know they get Miles Robinson back, they potentially get Guzan back, and they're now okay, or or is it, is it just kind of you know are there more problems that need to be fixed? That's a good question. Um, I, I'm a really firm believer in Miles Robinson. I think he's one of the top three center center backs in this league. And I think that he fits kind of perfectly what, what this team is doing. Um, so stylistically, again, I think that that solves a lot of problems, but they're going to desperately need a defensive midfielder. And it can't be Ozzy Alonso coming off torn ACL at age 38 or whatever he is. Like one of my kind of key tenants in roster building and in this league is, is defensive mid is so important. Like they, they're like force multipliers in how much easier it makes the game for those around them. So if Atlanta don't address that, they could still have a lot more problems. So I think that's the one position I'm looking at them this offseason. They've definitely gone for air quote flash over that in, in previous years. I know that they spent money on, on Santiago Sosa, but like they haven't addressed that position since Jeff Lorenowitz phased out as a starter and then retired. So that's that's kind of the key thing to look at for that team for next year. Or again, they'll they'll have problems like they are this year. So I want to ask you one more question here about the, the playoffs and kind of the end of this year. Um, either conference, whichever way you want to go. If you want to give me one team that's in the playoffs right now that will not make it and one team that is not in the playoffs right now that will make it. Uh, it is, you know, like looking at these, like in the East, fifth through 13th is separated by six points. And in the West, fifth through th um, 11th is six points. Like there's a lot of different answers. And two days ago, teams around the playoff line. So I'm, I'm going to keep this as like just somewhere in that group, whether they are or aren't above the line. Like, yeah. I think that I, d I do think that Columbus are going to get in pretty comfortably. They're like right on the line right now. I just think that that team is, you know, I, I would take them ahead of the Red Bulls right now. I would maybe even take them ahead of NYCFC or Montreal. Like I, I view them as like a top four team. So I think that their quality is going to kind of win out and they'll finish comfortably enough ahead of the playoff line. Um, 
And then I, then the team that I let's that I wouldn't again. I've already given the Toronto take. I, I know that people are, are are big on that, but I don't know Orlando. I'd be worried about Orlando and Miami. Um, again, I think that they're both doing like particularly Miami. Like they they shouldn't be in this in this playoff race. Like given where this roster was eight months ago, um, yeah. but that's going to be kind of difficult to hang on here. But again, I think that's a difficult one to call because Cincinnati is one of the teams I think that would get above the line. New England should be too. So it's just. There's not a lot of room for some of these. Like, I don't think the Red Bulls are safe. They're six points ahead of the playoff line. I don't think that they're safe. I think that they're going to need a couple of big results or it's going to get really, really tenuous. And then out West, it's it's difficult. Like Seattle, they we've never, we've literally never seen them miss the playoffs. So like, I'm going to have to see it to believe it. So I'm still, you continue to wait for the run that you think is coming that hasn't come. I think that they're going to get over the line. And again, that's probably me just giving them too much stock for what they have previously done, even though what they previously did was three and a half months ago or whatever, become the first MLS team to win CCL. Like this is the same team. Um, so yeah, that's a team. And then if you had to take somebody out like LA or Real Salt Lake, I, I've been saying this about Real Salt Lake all season, but like, I don't, I don't know what in, in the nicest possible way. I, I don't understand how they're picking up so many points. So maybe I shouldn't expect them to kind of drop below, but you know, the galaxy we'll we'll see how that works. There's, they're still extremely flawed and a little bit frustrating for all the chances they create that they're not putting away. So 